The actual reason is that if you don't have a breakaway down the road, something to look forward to, something to catch, that there's no order in the Peloton. The Peloton becomes chaos. Imagine there's no breakaway and there's just a hundred people back there, any one of which could win that race. At any moment during the race, someone can take off down the road and now you have to cover that person. And this is what a lot of people's day-to-day feels like in the office. Oh, so-and-so did this. We got to go get it. So-and-so is going to go in this. We got to go get them. And it's just constant. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Yo. We all got a bunch to talk about. Let's dive right into it. A few months ago, we did a whole episode about the topic, moving back to America. Was it worth it? A bit of a lightning rod topic. Actually, Ian, sometimes when I do episodes like that, I'm like, I don't know. We should post this one. I'm glad we did because the emails were incredible. And not because everybody's sitting around thinking about moving back to America. I think everybody you know, thinks about their own situation their choice of location, where they live, their lifestyle, is why we get into this game in the first place. We want to have more choices like this. And I often wonder, am I making the right choice? Could I make a better choice? And so we did a whole episode about this and just some incredible emails came through. And this one concept, we'll call it the nomad's dilemma, came up. And I want to lay it out here and talk around it a little bit. So the nomad's dilemma is simply this. This concept that if I travel, I will develop many new, exciting, profitable, however, potentially fleeting relationships while potentially damaging or neglecting the long-term ones I have in place back home. So the nomad dilemma is this, on the one hand, life is so exciting out there on the road, fast friends, meeting new people, going out of my comfort zone to meet people to go on an adventure or a project with. And then on the other hand, you got, but you know, it feels sort of empty at the end of the day because half a year from now, everyone's gone. The turnover is big and I'm sitting here where I started looking for the next thing. So this is kind of the the nomad's dilemma. There was a wonderful conversation recently about it in the DC forum. And there's kind of like three different ways of thinking about it. There's sort of the settled mindset, which is, You know, you've really committed to these long-term, often a lot of normal relationships. We'll just call them normal relationships, right? Normies, people who, you know, don't give a shit about stuff like the Tropical NBA podcast or going, making their big next long-term trip abroad or starting the next business or whatever. You got people who are very much in the middle road who do a little bit of both, have balance. And then you got people who are purely nomadic, people that are in that nomadic moment in their lives where... Often they're kind of feeling like it's exciting, but they're, they're a little bit fatigued by it and frustrated by the turnover they can see in their lives. And it was just cool to see people in all different elements of their lives kind of openly sharing how they feel and kind of identifying what their next steps might be. So that'd be an interesting opportunity for us to talk about the nomads dilemma a little bit here, Ian. Maybe you could give us a sense sure. for what you think about it. Well, when I think about this like settled middle nomadic 
actually started to think about it like in terms of like starting a company. Like if we were to start another company, would we want to be co-located? And I think the answer is yes. Starting to come to this idea that like, yes, you can start a company and like everybody can be remote like they are with us now. But like you get so much done when you're in person. And I'm certainly not going to like move the company to an office park off the side of the highway. That to me sounds awful. But I do think it sounds interesting (laughs) as you're like starting a business to maybe do that for a year or two. So that's like kind of that settled mindset. And I think one of the reasons might be this. Like I have a bunch of friends that have actually left Austin now that I keep in touch with. But the reason I keep in touch with them is because I forged those relationships in person for several years. Yeah. So I think it's possible to like keep in touch with people and like keep your relationships happy and healthy and all that, business and personal, if you're co-located for a while. I think it's very hard to do that like uh, nomadic. Like I I think you've had this experience too, which is like I met somebody on the road, like we're hot and heavy for like six months. And then like now that we're apart, we don't even call or text each other anymore. Of course, like if you got back together in that location, I'm sure it would be fine. But it was like a moment in time. Yeah. And the middle ground is kind of an interesting one that we've been exploring the last several years now um, because we also vacation and work together abroad, which is going to a foreign location with your tribe, which I think is really fun if you can afford to do it which is I'm going to bring people from all over the world or different parts of the country. And we're all going to go to this one location for several weeks or months out of the year. So you kind of have like the best of both worlds, which is like, I get to meet new people. I get to have new experiences, but then I also get to like have these familiar people in my life with me. I think it's amazing. Actually, that's an interesting like case study for how it works. Like I live 15 minutes away from you right now. Guess what my chances are of visiting you today are? Zero. Basically zero. But like, <laughs> I live 15 minutes away from you in Spain. We are hanging out, bro. I gotta All know. the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I can sense that feeling of like, when you've been settled for a long time, and then you go to one of those events and have that connection, you're just like, oh, man, this is it. So there's a couple things I think about that. The first is, I think finding a balance here is absolutely critical. I'm not like an extremist when it comes to this stuff. And I think you aren't either. It's like you want to be able to both cultivate and follow up with people that you want in your life for the long term, but you also want to meet new people and cultivate that and see where things can go and learn, especially from people. You can learn so much by being around people in the long form, not just for a couple minutes here or there, a couple of coffees. Yeah. The other thing is, I think one of the, maybe like it's even too obvious to say, which is, Where you choose to live as your home base is one of the most powerful decisions you're making this year. And depending on what you're optimizing for right now, I think that that is the first place to look. Like you might have, for example, really great long-term relationships wherever you're based right now, and they'll probably withstand and sustain any change that you make. And you might need to make that change in order to galvanize or catalyze whatever that next phase is whatever you want to optimize for. Again, I just think that the reason these discussions keep coming up is because where you choose to be is so utterly powerful. Who you choose to be around is so utterly powerful. And being proactive about it, which is such a theme on this show, is the name of the game. It's enormously powerful. One final thing I just want to say, like, I think there's like an interesting phenomenon that happens with listeners of this show is that we do build up friendships 
by meeting short term over time in multiple different locations. And that's essentially what these circuits are all about. Like um, when we were in Barcelona this summer, we spent time with so many people that we met on multiple continents in Austin, in Bangkok, in Barcelona, like making the circuit, so to speak. And so I think that that's another interesting way into this. That's a little bit of a cake and eat it to strategy where you go and you co-locate with people. You know, there's so many people that are going to Asia this winter. That's a bandwagon you can jump on, whether it's Beach Mountain City, and spend some time seeing where it goes. You know, being around people for a long period of time, seeing how the ideas and the activities forge new possibilities. I think that's like one of the best parts about not having your work connected to any particular location. By the way, can I just give a shout out to this idea that is a cake and eat it too idea or this idea that like picking up your laptop and disconnecting it from the wall and walking out of that office park can actually benefit your business and make you more money. What a badass concept. And I think that that's essentially what this segment's all about. It's like, what an incredible, fun opportunity. Sometimes I could even save money doing it. And I want to make sure I make a good decision because there's so many options out there of places I could go and things I could do. And that's it in a nutshell for me right there. The idea that some travel could actually benefit your business is such a cool thing. Tropical NBA Podcast. The hub for seven and eight figure business owners. All right, Ian, let me share with you something called the Anti-Attraction Manifesto. Woohoo, I'm already liking it. I am stealing this from our good friend, Laura Roeder. So here's our idea, and I encountered it in the Dynamite Circle forum. She's basically like, look, a lot of founders are super excited about traction and scaling up and all these kinds of systems thinking, but I think they're too complicated. And I also think that it creates a lot of busy work that people do and think they're doing a good job, but they're not actually making a better business. And so what she ended up doing was saying, hey, here's what I do that I think actually makes the difference in our business in terms of systems. And then that's it. So she's basically saying, hey, can we just simplify this stuff? And again, Traction is a book by Gina Wickham. It is essentially a guide for systematizing your business. So Laura goes on then to share her system. So Ian, my question to you, do you agree that these systems need to be simplified? And if so, how do you do it? Well, geez, this is complicated. Very, oh, very oh nuanced conversation. Uh, first thing oh, is first. Nuance. Like, how, how big is your company? And what problem are you trying to solve? Do I think that you need to implement traction or scaling up in your business in its entirety if you have a million dollar business? No, that would be a waste of time. Not too long ago, we did a bunch of exercises trying to not systematize our business necessarily, but to understand our business. That was really important for me and I think for you, which was like write down like what our business does, the key functions, like how it makes money, and then what we're trying to accomplish. That part for me is like the most important. What are we trying to accomplish? And then getting down to the nuts and bolts of like how we accomplish it. So 
if you don't have a process for how you accomplish it, I think it just leads to inefficiencies. It leads to like, should we hire this person? Do we have too many people? Like, what is everybody doing? For me, that creates a lot of anxiety. So I don't think that you should have no systems or processes in place. I think that you should have an appropriate amount of systems and processes in place. I'll give an example. We work with a company over the last year on some one-on-one coaching. Coach Ian. Coach, Coach Ian. Ian. Yeah. Mid seven-figure company doing really well, super profitable, but the owners were kind of at the center of the business. Meaning like all the decisions came through them, all the workflow like came through them. And it was really problematic because they couldn't work on the business because they were working in the business. So for them, the problem that they were trying to solve was like, how do I work on my business instead of in my business? And to work on their business instead of in their business, they needed to have a bunch of systems and process set up so the people that they already had on the team could know what the hell they're doing. Can we just hit the brakes for a second to figure out what the difference between on and in? So in the business is like the day-to-day, the nuts and bolts. Like, hey, what should I do? Where should I go? People are asking you questions as the owner, like, hey, what needs to be done? What do you think about this? Or so-and-so wants that. Correct. It's a hub and spoke model where the owners of the hub and like the information goes out to the spokes, which are the team members and the employees, but everything has to flow through them. The employees or the team members, they're not talking to each other. They're talking to the owners. And so you can fill your whole day up basically coordinating the work that needs to be done between your team members, depending on how many people you have. That's like in the business. What you really want to be doing, I think, as an owner of a mid-seven-figure company is working like on the business. So business development, how are we going to get from seven figures to eight figures? What are the key initiatives in the company? Like what are we bringing in revenues? Yeah, all that stuff. And so they weren't really able to do that effectively because they were working in their business. So getting back to, should you have like uh, traction or scaling up implemented into your business? I think on this show so far, we have been advocating for taking pieces that are necessary and implementing them into your business at a time that's appropriate. Also seen recently, a lot of people basically over-optimize for this stuff. They're like, this is great. This is something for me to do. I'm going to completely integrate traction into my business. I have less than a million dollars in revenue because it's something to do. Basically, or it makes me feel good or like I feel like this is my way to get to $5 million. In my experience, Dan, and I think you might agree with me, Implementing traction or scaling up into your business is not the way to get to $5 million if you're at $1 million. The way to get to $5 million is to like come up with interesting things that people want to buy and create value in the world. I think some people are also doing this backwards where they're over-optimizing because it's something to do, right? It makes you feel good. Something to do. You, you read the book, then you implement it, and then you have these meetings and they're like really structured. And then you're sitting around with all these structured meetings, with all these people, and then you realize like, wait a second, our revenue is the same. It hasn't changed. Why is that? Well, (laughs) you haven't actually created value outside of your organization. Yeah. So an example of that mid-seven-figure company that I was talking about, of something that really impacted their business was uh, implementing the scorecards. So basically, a scorecard is this. It's like, what are the inputs and outputs that this person is expected to perform in the next quarter? And inputs being your best guesses, outputs being the desired outcome. So like, this is what we want to achieve. We want to achieve, let's say, $100,000 in revenue. What are our best guesses? What are our best inputs to get there? And like, these are the people that are responsible for them. And so every week, 
in this company now that they've implemented these scorecards. They also have a scoreboard that basically shows if you're green, yellow, or red. So like you're meeting the target, you're not meeting the target, but you feel like you can meet the target, which is yellow, and then red, you're not meeting the target. And then every week they talk about things that are red, not the things that are green. So it's helped them because it's basically created a bunch of uh, visibility around the biggest initiatives in the company and like where they're at. So those things are what's actually going to get you to 5 million. It's like we're throwing a bunch of darts at the board. We're like hitting some of them. We're missing some of them. And we're all going to like talk about the things that we're missing. And we're going to spend some time talking about the things that are hitting, especially if we feel like those things can scale. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, maybe the concept of a scorecard does sound like busy work, right? Like we're going to sit there and we're going to fill out all these one pagers with all these numbers for every single person that works at the company. However, it addresses the, the often common and gnarly real world problem of what happens when you feel like your team members aren't contributing to the vision or the goals of the company. I know a lot of founders feel like they're actually just out of control of their team quite simply for a variety of reasons. Could be communication, could be vision, could be, hey, they're doing something we talked about a few months ago or that's what their own prerogative is. Maybe you made a compromise during the hiring process and maybe you're just lacking confidence if they're the right person for the job. And there's this kind of just soup of dysfunction that starts to happen and you end up, a lot of founders feel like, okay, cool, everybody's doing what they're doing and now I'm doing what's left over, which is, I think, just trying to keep the lights on. And I think that's where Scorecard can really come in and align the whole team around what's necessary and critical for the business. So you don't have goals just because you're trying to feel good about yourself for the business. You have goals because you need to meet them in order to stay in business, in order to grow. And I think that's why these things can turn from busy work into something that's vital And that's why I really like this concept of a scorecard because it's fundamentally about the contract you have, the agreement you have with the team that's going to help you to achieve what you're trying to all do together. And so I think that can be a really powerful process. You mentioned goals and achieve together several times. I think it's worth mentioning because a lot of people don't have them. And I think that that's okay if you don't have them. And I think that that's where like, uh, we start to talk about like how important these scorecards are and whatnot is only if they're attached to goals. If your goal is to have a lifestyle business that makes a million dollars a year, I think that that's amazing. But for a lot of people, that's like where it ends. And I think that that's totally fine. But if your goal is to have a business that's doing $20 million a year in revenue, and is changing the world in a way that maybe is more impactful than just your personal income, you're going to have to get a lot of people on board with that vision. With very few exceptions, there's going to have to be a lot of people on board to do that. In this day and age, like a $20 million company still requires many people making a lot of money per year to accomplish that. And you have to keep these people organized, and you have to keep them on the mission, and you have to keep everybody moving in the same direction. So for me, Dan, I think it, it kind of comes down to two things. Number one is like, what is your vision? Where are you trying to go? Are you honest with yourself about that? And then number two, like, what are the resources that it's going to take to get there? Ian, could I take a moment to steer us into a little place I like to call Nuance Corner? And uh, as you were telling that story, uh, it occurred to me that I wanted to talk about bicycle racing. And oh, 
somehow for me, it always comes back to pizza shops and for you, bicycle racing. <laughs> Here's the idea. I actually want to challenge what you said and, and instead say, I think it's better for everyone to have goals. And this is not premature optimization for any business, even when you have one or two team members. And here's why. Bike racing, if you've never watched it on TV before, is really confusing because at the beginning of the race, they always let like between five and 15 racers go way up the road a few minutes and it's called the breakaway. And then there's like a hundred racers behind. They're called the peloton. And they keep these two orbs of physical energy kind of negatively charged about a few minutes away from each other. But there's a very specific reason they do this. Think about the breakaway. In 95% of races, they're caught by the finish line and someone from the peloton actually wins the race. Now people watch bike racing and they say, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you let people go up the road if you, you know they're not going to win? Well, there's a bunch of interesting answers to that, including television advertisers, but I'll put that on the shelf for the moment. The actual reason is that if you don't have a breakaway down the road, something to look forward to, something to catch, that there's no order in the peloton. The peloton becomes chaos. Imagine there's no breakaway and there's just a hundred people back there, any one of which could win that race. At any moment during the race, someone can take off down the road and now you have to cover that person. And this is what a lot of people's day-to-day -day feels like in the office. Oh, so-and-so did this. We got to go get it. So-and-so is going to go in there. We got to go get them. And it's just constant. But when you have, if you think about a breakaway as clarity goals down the road, hey, by the finish line, we're going to reach that breakaway and someone from our group is going to get the W. We're going we're gonna to achieve victory. It keeps people calm, focused, and aligned. And I really often think about this, you know, running a business, however small, without a target, without goals, and without clarity of what everybody's doing, feels like a bike race with no breakaway. It's just people racing whenever they want to, whenever they decide. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I don't know as much as you, but for the listeners out there that know a little something about bike racing, uh, Dan is a domestique. So if you'd like to look up that term, <laughs> you can uh, you can understand a little bit about our business and his uh, style of riding. <laughs> That's correct. It means servant in French. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I want to um, say one thing about the anti-traction manifesto before we move on to the next concept which is I love what Laura's laid out here. And I think what she's doing is she's holding attention, which is, okay, you can be the best little student in the class and fill out all your little forms and everything and get the best assessment, but that doesn't mean you have the best business. And that ultimately these things have to be tools towards getting to and achieving our goals. And I do think it's really common for people to over-optimize. So finding things like scorecards, Getting rid of org charts and just writing down roles and responsibilities like Laura mentioned that she does. Simplifying things for your business, what works. I'm all in favor of that. So I want to bring up something that I think is underrated in our community. An underrated process that actually for your input has an incredible amount of output. And it's simply this, meetings. I think having powerful meetings that are the right cadence, the right tempo, the right agenda, the right people are 
basically one of the best investments we make every week in our business. And I mention it because so much of what people get drawn into scaling up and traction in our community is the promise of going async and the promise of getting rid of meetings. Because I find typically people have basically PTSD when it comes to meetings. They don't like them. They've had a lot of bad ones in their lives. And so they think that this is a process that needs to be eliminated and that traction and scaling up might, and other systems like them might hold the key to eliminating the process that they hate the most. Well, I would challenge that and invert the idea and say that if you're going to run into the building and save one process in your business, especially a remote business, it would be the meetings. And so the challenge to the audience is, if you dread your meetings, if you don't like them, if you're not getting leverage, that's a great place to start. How can you take a meeting audit, improve the tempos, improve the people who are showing up, improve the agendas and the topics? And you can see how choosing one key process, other things can cascade from it. So it's like, yeah, well, it's not a good meeting if we're not talking about solid numbers. Okay, well, let's get some solid numbers. What numbers mm -hmm. are we talking about? You know what I mean? And everything cascades from that one simple thing, which is, hey, I'm going to place a premium on my meeting time because I'm going to you know, maybe take Zig where everybody else is zagging. Everybody's trying to get rid of meetings. I'm going to say, I run a remote business. My meetings are the most important to us. This is where I get to be a leader. This is where I get to drive the vision of my business. This is where I get to talk to team members that are going to have the biggest impact on our outcomes. And so how can we improve that process? That's kind of like my, uh, hey, I see something undervalued in the market. Like everybody's trying to get rid of these meetings. Like, no, 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 make them better. Like that's really where the magic happens. I'll give an example of how we made ours better this year. And this was actually from Claire who... Um, built with us our scale program and is also a facilitator in uh, GC Black. And this is basically the innovation that she brought to our meetings, I thought, which was clever. It's so obvious too, which is like, if you start to sidebar, which we often do in our meetings, like this is how our meetings like turn into two hours. It was like we would sidebar, be like, oh, this is something that we have to talk about. If you start talking about it for more than two or three minutes, you set another meeting for it. Huge innovation in our company. Uh, we would go on like, these two-hour meetings <laughs> What's meeting about that meeting? <laughs> that weren't relevant to everybody. And, and then we would just sidebar the meeting. So that's just one example of like, hey, if you don't like the meetings in your company, and I think you're absolutely right, Dan, which is like, they're super valuable if you're a remote company, especially. If you don't like your meetings, like how can you change them so you can like them? And that was one change that we made. Very cool. Hey, so you like the show, just want to remind you, we have a website, tropicalmba.com. You click through on your phone, check us out on the web, hit that subscribe button. I write the newsletter every week. There's a lot going on behind the scenes of the pod. And that's the best way to find out about upcoming events, both virtual, in-person, and much more. Check us out at tropicalmba.com and give us some feedback on this brand spanking new website. Because it's time for a spanking. All right, next segment, Ian. I just wrote down business highlights of the summer. We spent almost 90 days sitting in an office every day. For those of you who are trying to visualize what that looks like, it's simply Ian and I sitting in an office, tapping, pit-pat, patting away at the keyboard for a few minutes, eventually turning to each other and asking the most important question, what's What do you lunch? want for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right, one of my highlights was sharing our office with community members. I really like, so for example, Jan from Austin, who runs Argentos, 
he was hanging out with us in our office doing his thing. You know, he's on the phone being a boss, making money, whatever. And then he kind of turns his desk and he's telling us about the DC group in Austin and what, you know, where he'd like to take our events. And that's just different from being at an event, but with a community member, it's really cool to have them in the office. And uh, that's one of the highlights for me. Yeah, for me, the highlight is always like, uh, I can remember the last couple of years, like things that got done that were really impactful in the business during our time in person. So for me, it just like cements this idea that like being in person a certain percentage of the year, I think for co-founders is really important and for like team members is really important. Yeah. We got to do some interviews in person, which was kind of cool. So we hired a new event manager, the woman that we ended up hiring, Mackenzie. Congratulations. She Shout actually out. flew in to hang out with you. I'd already left, but she hung out with you for a couple of days in the office in Barcelona. And I just think that that's like a wonderful experience in terms of like onboarding, but then also like in this remote and virtual world now to be able to do that. It's a lot of fun. It's an absolute highlight. And the conversations behind the conversations behind the conversations, it's like the amount of fidelity of walking through, especially, you know, we have so much history in our brand walking through mission, vision, values, team members, org charts, all this kind of traction stuff, really. We have so, so much documentation. We have so much history. Digging into like what happened DCBKK this year, last year, next year, the 40 events we have every month. There's just so, so much event stuff going on. It was cool for us to have our own event together where we're being able to spend time, get to know about each other personally, what we're excited about, you know, what we're dreaming about, what really motivates us. I think those things are invaluable. Definitely a highlight of the summer, onboarding in person. Tropical NBA Podcast. Ian, I thought it would be cool just to get a sense for over the summer, we're doing a lot of walking in Europe. Was there any audiobooks or podcasts uh, that jumped out at you as your favorite and that you would, uh, would recommend to listeners? Well, you actually recommended this to me, and then I think it like blew up on the internet. So uh, yeah, I there's this guy. Viral. Podcasts don't go viral. I think this one did. Yeah, I think it did too. His uh, name is uh, Jeremy Giffen on Invest Like the Best. And I listened to this podcast. I was actually walking around in Barcelona listening to this podcast, and I just thought like, wow. A couple things. Number one, this dude is a good thinker. Number two, the topics that he covered were like wide and vast. I think it was like an hour and a half long. It's a very fun podcast to listen to because he has thought so much about the things that he is talking about, unlike us in some situations. So I really enjoyed <laughs> uh, listening to him. One of the things that I took away from Jeremy was uh, having an audience is underpriced. And just for a little background, Jeremy is a GP over at Tiny. And so he's basically seen a lot of businesses because they acquire businesses. So he said something that was interesting to me which is uh, having an audience is underpriced. And also you don't need a big audience. And I think basically what he was talking about is like the immaturity of a lot of these different industries. And like the monetization structure is like not there yet. Mm. So he like went into like a bunch of like the nuances of like why you, it's still weird to like tell people you're a podcaster. And it's because like, there's like inequities in, in that conversation and like the relationship that people have with podcasts. Yeah. It's like not financialized yet. Like there's a reason Correct. why there's like a, a mattress king on every corner 
in a, whatever, because it's like financialized. Like it's understood by the money markets that sell like dueling out mattresses to suburbia is a good business. But it's not really clear that having... And one of the things I really liked about the episode was something that I think we really believe and see often. And I want to shout out to any listener thinking about growing an audience. You know what's really powerful? 50 people who listen to what you say, if those 50 people are gangsters. And so if you can have a small Twitter account or write a white paper that talks about something where you put in the hard work on behalf of people who care about making investments or care about building businesses or care about their health or whatever, that can be a really powerful asset. And I think that that's one of the takeaways from the episode for me. Another thing he said, I don't know if this is going to rile you up, Dan, but it said, uh, consuming information and advice is a sham. Uh, makes you feel productive, <laughs> but it's actually entertainment. Now it's going to rile me up because that's what we're doing right now. Is what we're doing entertainment or is it a productivity hack to listen to the tropical MBA? Like, if that's true, then why? What is the value of listening to that episode then? Because we were entertained. Uh, yeah, I mean, he says that I think in the episode, which is uh, interesting. Like, you would never listen to anything, of course. I think his like main critique was like, uh, there's a bunch of charlatans out there, and it doesn't necessarily make you more productive. So it's the same thing that we talked about earlier in this episode, which is like, does setting up all your systems and whatnot make you more money? No, not necessarily. Does consuming a bunch of like information make you more productive or make you more money? No, not necessarily. And it's like okay, I think, to do it for entertainment purposes. I think it's okay to do it for shade and contour purposes. Like if you're really inspired by these types of things, like I know that you are, especially probably more than a lot of people, then it's an important part of the creative process. I think what he was alluding to, and I'm glad that we got so fired up about this, is like basically there is now a new racket in town. And I think a lot of us know that there's a racket in town. I mean, the news and the agenda of the mainstream media has been around for a long time. And we're just now figuring out that they had an agenda. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> we, knew, we knew that for a long time, but there was only three channels. So you just like hung out there. One of the things he says is serendipity is underrated. Do you think that's true? I think serendipity is totally underrated. And Jeremy, in this episode, he like goes in to talk about like, finding value basically or finding margin that's what his company does is like they find the differential between buy and sell yeah and so it's like really important to find these weird things for them and i think a lot of listeners of the show too these weird things like podcasting still is pretty weird where there's like a huge differential in terms of like what it costs to produce what it's worth and like what you can sell it for yeah love it good one so Jeremy Giffen on Invest Like the Best. I want to give a shout out to Tommy Griffith who pointed to me to this episode on Acquired.fm. My favorite podcast of the year so far is the analysis of Costco as a business. One of the things that I really like about this episode is long form. Um, I listened to it recently on a road trip. So you're going to need to give yourself some time. I love businesses, Ian, that do what we call playing long ball play in long ball is the idea that you're making harder decisions that create future value for your customers and in your business rather than taking a short-term shortcut that makes you more money in the short term. And so uh, an example of this is the CEO of Costco, which if you live abroad is 
basically like a, a club that you join in order to get low prices at retail. It's the number one sort of like low cost membership buying club in America. So Costco, it's a really big, I think it's our third largest retailer in America. So they have a rule that you have to keep the margin. So the buyers price these products in Costco at 13% margins. And the idea is that no one would really notice if that buyer like jacked the price of catch up from like $1 to, to like $1 and seven cents. And that would make an enormous difference in the short term to their P&L. But the CEO said that that's like heroin. You allow people to make that compromise and it starts to erode the ultimate brand value, which is, you know, if you ask me, I thought it was really interesting that my perspective of the Costco brand lined up with what the Costco team is trying to create, which is I ultimately trust that Costco is on my side to basically negotiate on my behalf with suppliers to get the best products at the best prices. You know, when you're in a Costco store, from a brand perspective, that you're not going to be able to get a better price somewhere else for what's right in front of you. And I think that's so interesting that they had to make a lot of compromises in order to do that. And I think so much of what the themes in our show has been about over the last 10 years, one of the biggest themes, the theme below the theme, the thing below the surface is founders that are trying to find a way to make money online and which can be tough for a lot of us. And in order to do so, we take shortcuts that compromise the long-term equity value of what we're doing. And the ultimate example of that is staying in your job rather than starting a business, right? And that's why we come on here. The first thing we talk about the thousand day principle. It's like, if you're going to take shortcuts to make a living right now, you might not make it through the first thousand days and you might not start that business. And Costco is an example of a brand who's kept that integrity over the years and have ultimately built what Charlie Munger calls the best business he's ever seen. And so I really think this Costco episode is so inspiring. How can we borrow some of the themes and some of the hard decisions they're making and apply it to our business? And similar to what you mentioned about Jeremy Griffin, Ian, it's one of the things that inspires me about that episode so much is about trusting what you believe is valuable on behalf of your clients and your customers that isn't necessarily obvious to everyone else. Hearing someone like Jeremy have that confidence can inspire you and a brand like Costco can say, you know what? I know this is valuable and I'm going to make a short-term compromise to build something bigger to drive, to deliver more of that value in the long term. So Costco on acquired.fm. Somebody from my family, I won't mention who, but there's only one other person in the household that has a driver's license came home the other day with paper towels that were not from Costco. (laughs) And I got very upset because I understand the savings that I get. (laughs) When we go to Costco. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's such an inspiring story. You know, even small decisions they made, like, you know, this idea that they're going to have this in-house brand and they named it Kirkland after the city that Costco was founded in. This idea that over the decades that Kirkland would itself come to represent this sort of, not like the highest of high, like, a Mercedes-Benz or a Ferrari or something, but more like Honda premium trim. Like, you know that this is going to be a really, really solid product that's comparable with what's available in the market is incredibly remarkable from a cost retailer, you know? 
and such a cool, cool story. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? And I'm actually kind of surprised. I would be curious. I don't know if they go into the in this episode. I haven't listened yet. If they go into the specifics of like why there isn't more Kirkland products, because like you look at a store, a sports store in Europe, like Decathlon, like it's all their product. Like they basically figured out the best products. And then they've like made them themselves. And because they've done that, they've been able to like uh, drastically reduce the cost. So I'd be curious to know like why there aren't more Kirkland uh, products because obviously they have all the data. And as it relates to Kirkland too, I think it's funny. Um, when we were growing up, like uh, it was only dads that wore Kirkland. So of course, like now that's starting to become our generation. But then also like wasn't that cool. And so the things that are obviously uh, weren't cool then are starting to become cool now, which is like number one champion brand. Like if you weren't champion when we were a kid, like it was like, oh, dude, <laughs> like not cool. It's got to be Nike. So now it's cool to have champion. There's still hope cool for every Kirkland. brand out there. Exactly. Here. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you can change it. <laughs> I noticed it when you see Kirkland golf balls now, like golf players are pretty, you know, brand conscious, I would say. Picky. And yeah, yeah you, you see the Kirkland golf balls out there. Okay, cool. Uh, we've got Invest Like the Best. We've got the Costco episode from Acquire.fm. One thing, uh, we often do book episodes. We haven't done one in a while. I want to shout out one of my favorite books of the past few months. It's great on audiobook. It's called Mutiny on the Bounty. It's, if I apparently, if you're, in the naval niche, uh, so to speak, th this is a story that everyone learns about. Hmm. And the punchline, it, it combines so much of what entrepreneurship is about. Uh, teamwork, adventure, profiteering, deceit on the high seas. It is it's just this really cool story. Murder, of, perhaps. I'm assuming. There, there's even murder. There's <laughs> it's a really cool book about adventure about discovering new lands and about trying to make a profit from it. And what transpires from a group of sailors that head to Tahiti in order to get a thousand bread trees. They're called breadfruit, which is actually like tons of horrible things in this book, which is part of the reason it's so entertaining. They're going to Tahiti to like basically hoping to convince this king, this regent there, that they can take a thousand of these bread trees and bring them to the Caribbean in order to use them as part of the slavery ecosystem because this would reduce their costs. So it's like kind of this early globalization, trading. There's obviously a mutiny involved. Not everybody agrees with the mission. And then what happens to everybody in the long run is kind of an early social media story where People are self-publishing their accounts in order to win over the public opinion about what happened on this mysterious, incredible voyage. So if you're interested wow. uh, in going on your own uh, voyage in your earbuds, check out Mutiny on the Bounty. It's a true story. It's pretty incredible. Cool, Ian. Let's end the episode with some news. I just want to shout out to the team over at RemoteFirstRecruiting.com. I saw something happen the other day that does not happen very often, Ian. Uh -oh. I saw GoDaddy sent me an email. Yes, we use GoDaddy. I don't know if that makes me a boomer officially, but GoDaddy sends me an email and they say, you've auto-renewed a domain. And I get that jump in my heart like, oh God, it auto-renewed. That can't be good. I got to go which check. One, which one is it that I, right, that I bought five years ago that I don't want anymore? Nine times out of 10, I'm deleting. I'm What a horrible idea that I thought this domain should be auto-renewed. 
when I opened the email, it was remotefirstrecruiting.com. And I thought, hell yeah, we're auto-renewing Remote First Recruiting. They had one of their best months ever in August. So shout out to the team and shout out to listeners for checking us out at Remote First Recruiting. Um, Hiring is back, baby. I mean, there was a two years there where it wasn't back. The funniest part about that story for me is uh, how I saw that you auto-renewed it, but you only auto-renewed for another year. <laughs> like there was like a three and a five year option, but you're like, no, nah, let's just do a year. That's how I set it up at the beginning. I was that's how confident uh, I was that it was auto renewed every year. Yeah, but definitely not the five year option. We're not. <laughs> we're gonna see how it goes, man. <laughs> oh, shout out a couple other things. DCBKK. We're just counting down every day. We've got a day counter in our Slack. Last week, we had Lucy Bella Simpkins on the show. Ian, she has 10 million YouTube subscribers. She'll be up on the main stage along with you presenting to hundreds of listeners of this podcast. It's the main topic around the office nowadays. Everybody's excited to head back to the land of smiles, including me and you, I'm sure. That's right. A couple other news items. Our first DC Black exclusive event launched this week. That's going to be in New York City, in December. Ian, to quote one of the members, I thought the same thing. I never thought I'd be this excited to go to New York City in December. I tried to tell you guys, it's magical, (laughs) man. Christmas is in the air. We're going to a New York Nets game. We booked a private suite there. We have a private chef. We're going to be in a loft all day talking about our business. We're staying at a nice hotel. I can't wait. Lots going on. We've got DCX Montreal this weekend. We got DCX Taipei a few weeks from now. There's over 40 meetups of listeners of this podcast happening every month. Uh, you can find out all about that on our newsletter. Just head over to tropicalmba.com. We write run every week and you can stay in the loop. That's it for this week. Ian, you got any more news or shout outs before we head out? It's less than 100 degrees in Austin. I know we weren't going to say we were going to talk about the weather, but it's less than 100 <laughs> degrees today. So that's it. I'm happy. And that's actually, we'll uh, yeah, that's it. I'm happy. We'll see you next week. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.